Yeah, I don't know. Let's just start talking about it. Where, where do you want to start? Like, honestly, that that's where I'm at. Where do you want to start talking about this? Because I have so many thoughts that um, everything's just, it's, it's going to come out eventually. So wherever you want to start, I'll start talking. Yeah, like I really just, uh, I, the way I kind of formatted it on my document here that I'm re- referencing to, I kind of started out with like a, like a rundown of the film, like a, just a basic uh, flow of the beats and stuff. And then uh, I wrote down a list of the comparisons between the two versions, what Zack Snyder did uh, correctly, and then what, what didn't work on his version, and then uh, the theatrical cut, what didn't work there, and what uh, worked. So like just kind of comparing to see... To be fair to both, you know, to to not just completely throw one out, to kind of compare and see, like, you know, there were things that Joss Whedon's version did that were right and that were um, beneficial for the see, the see, film yeah. itself. Yeah. See, in my my opinion, though, I think I think what, the things Joss Whedon did that were right are few and far between. I think Snyder clearly hit the better notes going throughout the whole the whole movie and i i think that comes down to everything from the story from the way that it's put together from the special effects alone holy crap the the, the difference between snyder and uh and whedon's special effects i think snyder's special effects blow whedon's out of the water he had and a I bigger budget too he he did have a bigger budget but i mean whedon even came in and tried to well i mean he reshot an hour of the movie in a two-hour movie and i think that was a big issue so like with that reshooting i'm going to just start talking about special effects here so like with that with that reshooting i think what that ends up doing is it causes less time to complete the special effects than is necessary now i know Whedon can do special effects i've seen the avengers movies i i mean Iron Man, Ultron, all of those things, those all looked incredible. But when I watch um, the the theatrical version of Justice League, I look at Cyborg and I also look at uh, Steppenwolf, and they look bad. Like I don't believe that they're real characters at all. Like they they look they look animated. They look like a uh, they look like a video game cutscene a lot of times to me. Yeah, that's a good point. I I wrote in here like the biggest thing for Steppenwolf was that the theatrical cut, uh, the mistake they made was they kind of made him look like a satanic Mr. Tumnus from <laughs> Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It was so goofy. But then in the Snyder cut, in the Snyder cut, he he was his own character and he, he looked alien. He didn't look like some kind of morphed being like with a human face, but with an alien body, kind of like uh, the well, original I I, Hulk movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know why. Uh, why why did we didn't think it was necessary to change Steppenwolf's design? I don't because this, I don't know if we'll the, ever know. I know the Snyder Snyder Steppenwolf. He he is more intimidating. I find him more believable. Also, just the character arc itself. Like, there's there are points where I'm like, oh, I actually understand why he's doing this now, and he's not just running around, yelling 
having some weird Oedipal complex yelling mother at these boxes. (laughs) Yeah, in in Snyder's cut, uh, Steppenwolf had a motivation. And it was very clear what the motivation was, and it actually drew you into the character more, as opposed to uh, him being a very Marvel-esque character where you don't really care about the, the villain at all. He's just there to bring conflict. Um, it, yeah, but just the special effects alone, like, his design, his armor is incredible. Like, the the moment that still sticks with me for his armor is when you had, had all the Amazonians, they're, they're flinging arrows at him, and he's, he's just covered in arrows, and then he just does, like, a quick, like, little flex, and they all just snap because the armor just it tenses up it, the armor becomes part of his body which i thought was really cool because it does also give it a little bit of like that alien touch and that like oh this guy's otherworldly it was a really interesting design and you can tell it's it's made to to sit on his body very well and very organically as opposed to looking just like um archaic forms of armor because it isn't it is alien technology you know it's supposed to look like it's better than anything else. Yeah, like like Whedon's version of it. It Whedon's version it didn't it didn't have the same. I want to say pop, but I mean the the glossiness and the shine of Snyder versus the Whedon one. And the Whedon one looked. I think part of the reason it didn't look believable to me is because. There was something off with the lighting or something, or they weren't able to render him in the appropriate amount of time that he needed to. Well, that's a big point. That's a big point is the lighting, is the Whedon's theatrical cut was lit much more brightly than uh, than the Snyder cut, so nothing was really allowed to have shadow. It was, everything was exposed and open, and uh, there was no like mystery... Uh, or dynamic to everything that people were wearing because everything was just oversaturated with color and light. Yeah, and the, like like by brightening up these characters, it makes it harder to make them look good. And that's something I think Zack Snyder actually really understands. And I think that is why um, I think it was a terrible idea that Whedon brightened the the movie so much and he brought the colors up and everything because. Because uh, if you look at like the the first Iron Man, Iron Man Two, if you look at like um, like the Incredible Hulk, if you look at like anything that's really CGI heavy, that's done at night, like the final battle in the first Iron Man day, in day first battle in the the battle in the first Iron Man movie, versus um, like a battle during the day, the night one looks better because you have more to kind of like work with and to shield it so you can use the shadows to darken spots to make it a little bit more realistic and i think that's also why cyborg looks so much better i there's still points in time when i'm like ooh, cyborg looks really bad in this movie but it's not as often and it doesn't take me out of watching the movie as much as it did in whedon's and the other thing i noticed was like whedon's cyborg was very glossy in his in his uh skeleton like uh the the metal skeleton and everything it was it was too glossy if you look at snyder's there's you can see little tiny details of like scratchings and and hash marks on 
on his metal skeleton, which also makes it a little bit more believable. So it's not just like shining and, and blinding you the whole time. But yeah, I think the, the darkness definitely helps too. And with Cyborg, because most of his body, pretty much 99% of his body is uh, CGI, you have to take into account like they're rendering his body into multiple scenes that have like it's mostly CGI. Like all the battle scenes and the scenes where he's um, exploring his abilities, that is all CGI. So in order for them to render all that, just looking at it from like a like a filmmaking perspective, having to render out the entire body in every shot, you know, you have to you have to figure out where you're gonna take the shortcuts. So, like you said, making the, everything darker allows you to uh, put more emphasis in rendering the parts of him that are shown um, instead of having to show the whole uh, body from top to bottom every single scene. Yeah. I also just think that the... I think the cyborg design is cool in theory, but I, I'm personally not a fan of it. I wish that there was a little bit more practicality to it. Like, um, instead of just CGIing everything but his, his face, I... I wish that they actually put prosthetics in there or something to that effect that would make him a little bit more believable. Because I'm always a big fan of like practical effects over over computer effects because A, they last longer and they look good longer. And B, they're also just more believable. So let's talk about that. What do you think would be some improvements that you would think of that they could do as far as physical cosmetics to Cyborg uh, to add that level of believability? I personally think they could have done more with his face. Um, yeah, they absolutely. Well, and that's that's part of the problem. Is like half the time his face has not enough texture in it. It, it looks it looks rendered because I'm pretty sure they are rendering the other half of his face at times. Um, but I, I think this is going to sound silly, but the original RoboCop, okay, Mm -hmm. the, the way that they gave him like a robotic suit, it wasn't CGI. Yeah. And I will say that that robotic suit is going to age better than this cyborg suit. No, I agree. And so, so just give him like, like even if you look at like uh let's just reference like the Teen Titans from the the mid two thousands the the cartoon Cyborg had more bulk to him and I think because Zack Snyder wanted to make him more of like a skeletal creature that's why they had to go more CGI if they would have gave him like a little bit more bulk they could have done more of a practical thing and I I. To me, that's just something that that misses the mark in both versions. But I will say Snyder's version hits it better than Whedon's does. I think Whedon's cyborg just... Every time I see him, I'm just like, hmm, well, that looks like PlayStation 2. (laughs) Yeah, I'm looking at at cyborg's suit because there's so much of it. There's so much going on with his body that it's hard to really pay attention as you're watching it to every individual part. But if like you take a freeze frame and you look at it, uh, there really is a lot to 
there is a lot going on with the, I don't want to say like skeleton, but it's kind of what it is, right? Um, so they put all this detail in that you just you kind of gets overlooked because uh, most of the scenes he's in are very fast paced and they move very quickly and it's hard to to really focus in on that, which is kind of sad because unlike in films that also heavily relied on CGI like Transformers where they really punctuated everything that was part of their bodies. Um, so that maybe maybe in the future when we potentially get a cyborg film, hopefully we get to see more of that and see more of how intricate his body is. Yeah. And I, I will say this. The, the animators on Transformers, they do an incredible job. I, I know for the like the first Transformers movie, one frame of like Optimus Prime took them took it, it took a whole team of animators about it was like two or three months just to get that one frame. Wow. Which is incredible. But that's why that movie's holding up so much and that's why it looks I mean the first one still looks pretty decent mm-hmm. by today's standards. Um and I just don't think that I don't think Cyborg's going to look decent in the exact same amount of time by the future standards. No, honestly. I agree. And I don't know how much closer to reality we can actually get with a lot of the CGI. Because a lot of times I'm always impressed. I'm always like, oh, this is going to be the most realistic thing we get. And then all of a sudden I get something new. And I'm like, wow, how'd they do that? And it's it's really incredible. But I think they, I think it just missed the mark. You know what's crazy is with CGI looking realistic, it seems as if uh, video games are kind of leading the charge on that. Mm-hmm. They're getting pretty damn close. Absolutely. Absolutely. They're, I mean, look at the look at the Spider-Man games, like the, the new ones for the PS4 and the PS5. Those look incredible. With like the ray tracing that has the... The shadows in the glass doors and the water effects. Yeah. Oh, it yeah. It looks pretty insane. Absolutely. Um, another one that looked really good was uh, Detroit Becoming Human. I don't know if you played that, but that was... That game looks gorgeous. It really does. But, yeah, just to reiterate, it's definitely heading in a direction where... Um, video games are leading the charge in that. And they're also leading the charge in like stories a lot of times, too. So, like original content, which is also just this. I know this is a little sidebar, but like, it's really amazing the art and the storytelling you can get out of a video game because of how free the format is for the directors and the storytellers. And I feel like film is becoming, for the most part, becoming more restrictive, mm. opposed to more freeing. And it's, it's. I think it's. I think it's franchiseitis. Like everybody's going with the safe franchises right now. Yeah. And it's like, I, I. I mean, there's there's things that I love that are like small little indie indie things where it's like the storytelling's fantastic, such as uh, Swiss Army Man. Yes. Weird movie, completely strange. Very good story. Very captivating. So. Um, yeah, just just a little sidebar. Let's uh let's try to get back on track because I don't know what we were talking about anymore. <laughs> we were talking about the CGI in the film, and I think I think a good uh, capstone on that is uh, thanking Snyder for 
removing that whole uh, Superman mustache scene <laughs> from existence. It's no longer it does. It's gone. Oh my God! Thank you it's for gone. just removing that version of Superman in general. I think. Oh my! Yeah, the the mustache is just. <laughs> yeah, there's not sh- enough. That should have never happened. Like, it's not who, enough CGI, right? You have to have still extra little bit. Who 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 was like, "Yep, that's good." <laughs> Some studio execs over there going like, "Yeah, that's not gonna creep anyone out." <laughs> that looks totally natural. Speaking of Superman, the whole so much better. I think like. I think Superman in this is just so much better. I mean. I mean, they didn't change much between the two, but I know um, Whedon didn't use pretty much any shot that was used in here with Superman. He used bits and pieces of them, just kind of like he did throughout the whole movie, but, I mean, this Superman's night and day as well, and I also think that the black suit really suits it. It's a really good like resurrection coming up, and I know... I know this wasn't like something that uh, Snyder really was like talking about or anything, but the black suit originally in the comics, when he gets uh, resurrected, the black suit is actually supposed to be a healing suit. It helps mm-hmm. him absorb more sunlight, so it helps him heal quicker. Now, judging from the fight, from when he just comes back to life, I don't think he really needed more healing. So I think it was more of like a symbolic, um, so, like symbolic to him. And I actually was listening to Zack Snyder talk about it, and he mentioned all of that, and he said, from what he understands is when he's, not from what he understands, but what what it truly is, is when Superman's walking down the, the ship, and all, and you, you, you have Jor-El, and you have Jonathan Kent both talking to him, like, putting the two voices together and making a cohesive like thought and I thought that was awesome I thought that was brilliant and when he got to the black suit so the blue suit the the red and blue suit is more symbolic of who he is on earth more symbolic of the hope that he's supposed to bring for people the black suit is more of a nod to his Kryptonian heritage and so by coming back and putting that on, I don't think he's he's not ready to accept the role of savior. I think he's accepting his past and he's trying to come to terms with everything that has led up to this point. But in order to accept your present state, you have to accept your past. And I don't think he ever really did accept his past. I don't think he accepted his heritage. And I think this is kind of... I think what he was going to do with the next movies is slowly go down that arc. And I know Snyder said that at the end of the Justice League trilogy, Superman was going to be the Superman of classic. The Superman that everyone knows and loves. The the big blue Boy Scout is what he was supposed to come to. So I think this was supposed to be the start of that journey. That never happened. Yeah, and you see that at the end when you know, Clark realizes that he's able to finally settle down with Lois Lane. And he got back the farm. He got back the farm. He has a child on the way. 
and that was going to be great, a great uh, segue into the next film. Fortunately, it may or may not ever happen. Um, God, I want it to hope, happen. I'm hoping. I'm really hoping that that he changes his mind with seeing how well received his film was. I don't because think he already has all the ideas there. Absolutely, I don't think it's up to him though. I, he he needs to get the financing and the green light. And because Warner Brothers owns the right to them, he's got to get the okay from them. I think he wants to make it. And I would love to see it. Well, uh, his his wife is a producer, so... You know, the, the she definitely could uh, speak on his behalf to... Um, what, Warner Brothers, right? Warner Brothers, yeah. So yeah. I don't see any reason why... They would honestly be dumb not to keep this going now that they see what what's happened like they literally this movie was so well received that they they released a, a black and white version of it yeah and it also crashed hbo max's servers when yep. it released so there's very few films that do that very mm-hmm. few that ever come out like that i mean it it was so anticipated and everybody's been wanting this for about three years and it, it finally happened which Again, I'm just so grateful. I'm just happy Zach got to finish his his uh, his vision. That's really what it comes down to. And just think, if if the Whedon version never happened, how great of a, a transition this movie would have been to the ones that came after that were excellent, like Aquaman and Wonder Woman, mm-hmm. right? And Shazam. Shazam was incredible, too. I don't know if you saw that one. Yeah, Shazam was really good. And this, this could have carried that, but instead what, what Justice League did when it came out was it um it removed that expectation from a D- from DC in their in their films in their universe so when aquaman came out and it was really good people were surprised which is sad and, so i mean Z- snyder was actually a, a consultant on that film too because i think it was james wan that was yes, directing it, was. it yeah and he asked snyder to come on from this is what i understand i'm not saying this is like fact but from my understanding he asked Zack snyder to come on and be a consultant because he already worked so hard on trying to build up this story for aquaman here and i think that's why aquaman works so well yeah even though there wasn't much established in justice league it was just enough to where the tone of the character was set to be moved forward and James Wan is a smart director. He he did the right thing by having Snyder as a consultant, even though it wasn't Snyder's film, because you can tell you can tell what characters uh, Snyder really wanted to influence in the universe. Yeah, and, and Aquaman was one of them. Yeah, and he he definitely also started the world building for this film. So I think that that was another key is just making sure that the tone and the world feels consistent with what has come before it. And I, I guess that might be another issue with the weeding cut, with the, the theatrical releases. It just didn't fit. It didn't fit the tone. It didn't fit anything. You could, you know Warner Brothers is like, okay, well, you know, Avengers is doing great. Uh, we, we need to do that. And it's it's... It's two separate entities. Just because something else is doing great doesn't mean that doing something different isn't going to have as good of a response. Now, now, mind you, I am not a defender of Batman v Superman. I'm a defender of Man of Steel. I will not defend Batman v Superman. I'm not a big fan of that movie. 
But I will acknowledge everything that that uh, Snyder set up in Batman v Superman gets a huge payoff with this film mm. from his death and and something incredible that that I noticed is so Man of Steel ends Batman v Superman happens how does Batman v Superman start with the ending of Man of Steel yes how does how does how does uh this Justice League start with the ending of Batman v Superman and it makes sense why the mother boxes are coming back and like that opening is so much better than than CGI lip Superman and Batman randomly hunting these parademons which just comes out of left field and they shouldn't even be there yet if they can't travel like so there there's a a lot of inconsistencies there. Like, I don't understand how the parademons already there before Steppenwolf or anyone else has come through the boom. You know? Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. No. It's not a sequel. If you watch Batman v Superman and watch the theatrical cut of Justice League, they feel like two different, mm-hmm. two different ideas. Absolutely. Instead of a sequel. That's why it was so jarring, I think, for audiences was because I'm sure... Many people, like myself, watched Batman v Superman before going to see Justice League, and were like floored by how different it was, how how goofy how goofy the tone was, how bright it was, uh, how little character development there was, and how boring the fight was. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. Speaking of character development, oh my God, the difference between what they did with Cyborg in the Flash, and what Snyder has for Cyborg in the Flash. Like, I'm sorry. In the final battle, Flash's job isn't just to go save some random family. He's got it. He's got a huge part. And that that final scene is where he turns back time. I literally got goosebumps. I'm not even joking. Like when he had to, when he's standing there, he goes, "I gotta break." Come on, Barry, you gotta break the one rule. You you gotta break your rule. And he did it. I was like, oh, wasn't expecting that. I wasn't expecting him to do something like that, but oh, that yeah. got me. I don't think people were expecting. I don't think people were expecting the plan to fail either, right? Mm-hmm. So that that was that was also surprising, I think, and that was good because it the there was already so much conflict and build up to this point, mm-hmm. and then to have the Flash get shot, and then he can't um, can't break the the speed of light, right? Yeah. He can't get enough electrical charge to hit the mother boxes, uh, and then the mother boxes sink, and that's it. It's game over, and he's the only one left that can do anything. And he's got to break his one rule, which sets up Flashpoint in the future. Which hopefully yes. they start they start looking into that as well. I, I like how the Flash wasn't just a joke in this movie. Like he's not just there for comic relief he he does stuff he's actually useful in in the theatrical cut it's i mean the first thing he does is batman's just like save one he goes well then what do i do you'll know save one (laughs) great terrible advice yeah it's it's just like yeah thanks thanks it's like but he he's already saving people by that point and that Mm -hmm. i think that's more true because he already saves iris yeah, that, that first... wasn't in the theatrical cut, right? 
No, not at all. Yeah, so that it was in the trailers. It was in the trailers, but not the cut. And oh my, that his first scene when he turns and his shoes burst. I was like, oh god. I've always wondered like, what happens to his shoes when he runs? I'm not even joking. When he's not in his suit, what happens to his shoes? I thought that was really cool. And the this. Snyder's got great slow motion action scenes. He knows how to film them. And so with the Flash, it works so well. Every time he does it with the Flash, it just adds that extra level to the scene to show you exactly, to give you a feeling of how fast he really is moving. Absolutely. it's. I, I, I will say this, probably my favorite scenes from the theatrical cut were filmed by Snyder. I can tell you that right now. Oh, guaranteed. Oh, without a doubt. The best scene it the best scene in the theatrical cut is when is when they resurrect Superman and they're all fighting him. And like that fight, I thought that was A, the best scene in the whole movie. And B, the best moment of that scene is when Flash is running and Superman's eyes just glance over at him. And I remember coming out of the theaters and being like that was the best moment of the whole movie. Yeah, yeah, it really was. And it was Zack Snyder. That was something that we didn't like. Oh, we're gonna keep that in. Yeah, because it's incredible. Why did we change the movie? It was just it's just how you you like think about anything else or any other form of media. Think it's a, a book or a play, right? Or even a poem. Let's say one person starts with the idea, right? And they have this this vision for it, and everything for that vision makes sense because it's all coming out of the same mind. But then halfway through that thought, you completely change whose mind it is that's seeing this vision. There's no way they're going to see eye to eye on everything. No, absolutely not. And And the original thought is going to get lost. And that's what happened was Snyder's thought for this film got lost in in Whedon's edits and the way they trimmed down scenes. There was no suspense. Everything moved too fast. It's just the, begi- the, the beginning of the, the snowball effect. The heart of the movie was cut out completely. And the two hearts of the movie are Flash and Cyborg. And they were the two people in the theatrical cut that had almost no true purpose to be there other than to be plot points. I honestly hated Cyborg in the theatrical cut. I, I wish yes. that he was not even in it. Yes. Like, again, Cyborg was there just to tear the mother boxes apart. That was his job in the the theatrical cut. In this movie, he is the heart and soul. He is the, the audience's, like, guide. He is the person that we see the movie through. And he's also the owner, technically, and, and at that point in the film, of the last mother box. Yes. So, so he's in, basically in charge of humanity's safety at that point. Yes. And, oh my, when his dad died, I felt so bad. I was like, oh, it didn't work. They got me. He he got me with that one, with the laser shooting the box and everything. And it was like, I completely forgot about the, the heating up. And I was like, oh no. I can't, like, it, it was for nothing. And I was like, literally, Cyborg's over here. And you know he feels like a jerk because he's been ignoring his father. You know he feels like a jerk because he didn't want to listen to him. 
and he wasn't thankful for his father saving his life because all he ever saw himself as after that moment was being a monster and so watching his dad die in front of him and i thought it was going to be for nothing but the fact that he's like no he marked the box for us i was like okay he didn't die for nothing that's good that that was zach could have literally just let him die off and do nothing and i feel like that's what happened that's what would have happened in the theatrical cut is he would have died for nothing but he's a smart guy and he did it for a reason and he did it because it, yeah he did it because he knew this was the only way and that's one that of the... we could stop this guy because he's gonna get that box and you care because of the way the character was mm-hmm. developed yeah you and actually I think, I think honestly about the most powerful what happened moment in that scene. between those two um came earlier in that I think yeah I think that's like what part part five part six or something like that I think it's part five it came earlier in that when they're walking in. And his dad goes, no, it's it's a real emergency. After just telling people it, it's a false alarm. No, it's it's real. Nobody's allowed in here until I give the okay. And then it's a situation. No words needed. All you get is the nod from Cyborg and keep moving. And I thought that was incredibly just a very powerful scene with minimal dialogue between the two characters. That's the sign of a great director, right? Is someone who can who can take a scene yes. with very little yeah, dialogue subtext. and make it the just as powerful as the subtext in this movie shines out so good. Like there's just scenes where again, you don't they don't need to talk and you understand what's going on. I think that was the the greatest triumph I think of the Snyder cut over everything else was that every single character had a purpose that was very obvious in the film. And you, you had at least a part of a connection as you were watching it to every single character you encountered. It just wasn't, there was, there weren't any scenes or characters that you didn't feel belong there. Yeah. Every, everybody had their moment to shine. And I think everybody had multiple moments to shine. It wasn't just a singular moment. Even Batman, surprisingly, like the way what they did with Batman and the Alfred dynamic that they mm-hmm. definitely expounded upon uh, in his interactions with Diana and Alfred and um, this is Flash. Alfred. He's my boss. <laughs> I work for him. <laughs> I yeah. love that line. I so work for just, him. That's just great. Like that's just uh, that that brings you back, even if you didn't really like Ben Affleck's Batman. It it makes his character, uh, you know, gives them three dimensions in the in the scene. It's very easy to make Batman a very two dimensional character. Yeah, just dark and brooding. But that dynamic was was just really excellent to see, and that also was another thing that kept kept the momentum of the film moving because uh, in the very early stages, like the first three parts, a lot of it is just focusing on Batman trying to get the team together, right? So Yeah. So it's important that ba- yeah. this, this Batman is interesting and that you want to see more of him on the screen. And that you care for them. And that, that they're not just walking around being jokes. And again, I think that's that's a huge difference. Like, like, there were lines in the theatrical cut from Batman where it's like, he would never say that. Batman would never say something like that. Like when he... 
when him and Superman get back together and uh, Superman's like, I thought you hated me. And he goes, well, I, I don't not hate you. <laughs> and it's what like, he would line. never say that. What a horrible line. Yeah, he would never say that. It's Batman is a character again where there's you get more from less words out of him. Oh, definitely. And again, I think cutting the comedy out of Batman in this one. Now, now that's not to say that there's not comedy here. But it's it's appropriate comedy. It fits the tone of the movie. So, Whedon was making was doing some weird bastard monster of like oh, what would uh what would Batman be like if he was Tony Stark? He's not Tony Stark. <laughs> He's not going to make the same jokes. He's not going to be saying things like that. Yeah, all the humor in the film, except for maybe like one or two parts, was very subtle and very natural. Mm-hmm. It was very a natural tone to the humor. Yeah, it's like it's like when Aquaman just points at points at Flash after the Superman battle, and he just goes, "I am so sorry." That's funny, mm-hmm. but that's all you needed. Yeah, and like I I think that this this movie the characters so much more true to Barry Allen because Barry Allen is a very smart person he works in the police for like the Star City police in the forensics and he he is a jokester he's a jokester and he's awkward and he also likes like like he there there are also portrayals of him where he likes to hit on women and they they threw all of that in here and they did it without having him fall on Wonder Woman. Yeah. And ha- like and like motorboating her and then standing up. It's like, yeah, he he didn't actually motorboat her, but like Gal Gadot refused to film that scene with with uh Joss Whedon. That was a stunt double. Yeah, I read about that. Because Whedon, yeah, Whedon could not get her to do it because she thought it was degrading. And it kind of is. And again, it doesn't fit that doesn't fit that flavor, you know, that the that the characters already had established. Exactly. Speaking of Wonder Woman, her intro against the terrorists, whoo, so much better. Oh my god. The 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 scene where she's going around and blocking the bullets, I I don't eat like I don't even remember that being in the Whedon version, but I, I'm sure that it was in some aspect, but it's just every action scene in this movie had so much more gravity and weight to it. When a bullet when a bullet gets hit, when somebody gets hit by something, I'm like, oh no. In, in, in the original cut, I was just like, yay, superhero movie. Oh, somebody got hit. Oh no. It's like, no, I'm like, whoo, that looked like it hurt. Yeah, where a lot of superhero films fall flat is where they they try to give you this sense of uh like comfort right where you're like well it could only get so bad right like that's kind of how marvel does their films which is not to say that they're bad but in snyder's universe very bad things can happen Mm -hmm. and and if it if you if he continues with uh the the trilogy that he had planned what we know about it so far is that there are a lot of bad things that are going to happen to a lot of characters including death yeah 
So that gives, like you said, weight to, uh, you know, every punch and every bullet that gets shot. You know, it's all important. Absolutely. And it's it just, it makes you sit a little bit closer to the edge of your mm. seat. And honestly, like, again, I wasn't, like, in that in that last fight, in that last scene, I was, I was, I was blown away by how much Whedon changed in that last fight scene against uh, Steppenwolf. And yeah, I understand Whedon didn't want to decapitate the guy or anything. I get it, okay? You know? Some things I understand. But the way that Superman enters is like, what? why did he do it that way? <laughs> with, with a stupid one-liner, right? Yeah. Oh, I believe in justice. Or like, I believe in truth and justice. And then punches him. And it's like, no. When he shows up and he... Steppenwolf's coming down with that axe and he, he just gets there. Boom! And just stops. Everything just stops for a second. And this was a funny line but said in such a better way and not corny or cheesy. Just the not impressed. And then he busts the axe. And the punching and like like his hits on Steppenwolf they again they just hold so much more weight like like i could kind of feel them i was like ooh that's a good hit it's like and again in the the other one you're just kind of like yeah okay he hit him but like no you're like it's like watching a ufc fight now where it's kind of like oh oh he just connected with that it, it it's just so much more intense and like there's so much more adrenaline and excitement to it and that's what Snyder is really good at. Every every one of his films that he's done, uh, that's like an action film. All of the all of the action scenes are interesting and they're captivating and they don't feel uh, unimportant or boring or trite in any way. Like you said, every you felt every punch, and that's that's another like I said another sign of how good of a director he is with his vision especially for scenes like action sequences in a superhero film that could very easily end up being dull. <laughs> Which they were, and at one mm -hmm. point. <laughs> yeah, like the, the scene where they, resur they resurrect Superman and that, that fight uh, between the Justice League and Clark Kent, even though there wasn't a whole lot changed between the two versions, just the, the way the shots were, you know, the 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 what do you call it the aspect ratio of the scene itself mm -hmm. coupled with uh the way that they the way that Snyder shot particular things uh, actions and such in the scene it felt it just felt better it, it felt like there was more at stake which there was i mean you don't know at this point you know cuz in the Whedon cut the whole scene where you know they're all kind of discussing whether or not they should actually go through with this. That was gone. That was not there. Yeah. So, so I think that change was, that was incredible because so, so what Whedon tried to do was he tried to make a scene that parallels, um, a scene in the, the first Avengers movie. He tried to make a scene where in the first Avengers movie, it's, you got Captain America, Thor, um, Iron Man and Bruce Banner all in a room discussing like what they should actually mm -hmm. be doing and how 
how they need to go about. And it, it, it's a lot of conflict and headbutting. And it works great there. And it ends with, with Hawkeye attacking. And it worked great. Because there was authentic conflict there. There was authentic um, different points of view that were being discussed. When he tried to make that scene again in the theatrical cut. When they're trying to come up with like should they resurrect Superman or not. It was the, the arguments were thin and it was over. In, in, in the Avengers that scene right there it had no resolution. Nothing really was solved by that argument. Yep. They still weren't told. They still weren't agreeing, and they were still like at each other's throats. And they still had their differences in opinion. It didn't change who the characters were, and it didn't change their morals and the way they thought. And the only reason it ended was because somebody attacked. And they have to come together in the face of this conflict. In the Justice League, it was just like, I think we should resurrect Superman. No, when people die, you lose a piece of yourself. Pet cemetery. But we need him. But we need him. Okay. And that's how it goes. And that's that's how they decided <laughs> to resurrect him. It was it was that simple. We need him. Oh well, I guess you're right. <laughs> And so I think like the Snyder one where they're where they're discussing it over the box, they're not arguing about it. They all have the same realization because they all just fought the same enemy at the same time and they got their ass kicked. Yeah, they did a little bit of damage. But by no means would I say they won that fight. If they're lucky, you could call that a stalemate. And so they're all under the same thought process of we need something else. We don't know if we can do this. And they didn't know what was going to happen when they resurrected him. Yeah. But they, they all realized that they needed to take the chance. And I think that was a... I think that was a huge difference. And I thought that was just... It was such better writing. And nobody... Yes, they all have their reservations. But again, they realize what needs to happen. And nobody really was like... Uh, we shouldn't do this until... You get to where they're about to resurrect him, and Cyborg's fighting the ship because the ship is recognizing the cube as a hostile entity. And people are like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Yeah. If that thing's hot, if if this ship, if Superman's ship is recognizing this as a hostile enemy, do we really want to do this?" And that's when it comes up when there is some other information that is brought into play. And they were going to essentially summon Steppenwolf at the same time. Because they were going to give off that signal, so it was like, we really gotta, we really gotta do this and do it fast. Otherwise, we may not have any other options. And so I, I think that's why the ship probably thought it was a hot, like recognized the hostile entity because it knew that Steppenwolf or someone was going to be coming in as soon mm -hmm. as like when it once it gets resurrected, and they didn't even they they had the theories that it was going to work, but they didn't know if it was going to work. And essentially, yeah, like you said, the real the real thought process and the real conflict there comes from, A, we don't know if this is really going to bring back Superman. And if it does, is he going to remember himself? And B, the ship is telling us don't do this. And if when we do this, odds are we're losing this cube. 
if we can't get Superman back. And that's exactly what happened. And so I, I just think like the thought process and, and the, the internal conflict and struggle was more authentic. It, it didn't seem so contrived. Yeah, again, it was a layer to the characters and it showed each of them why why they would be against bringing back Superman mm-hmm. because they all have their own separate reasons. Uh, but the the main the main thought between the group was, you know, we could end up screwing ourselves over if uh, Superman re- resurrects as a hostile entity, and then that gives more weight to the next scene and more intensity, uh, as opposed to the theatrical cut where it just kind of all happens so fast that you don't you don't get that tension drawn out over minutes. You get it drawn out over seconds, which, which was a consistent trend in the slander cut was that every, like the, the Whedon version was cut down to two hours, meaning a lot of the, uh, the scenes in between beats where the tension was just building, whether or not it was, a lot of tension because of an enemy or if it was merely just Commissioner Gordon on the rooftop waiting for Batman. Those scenes were designed to be the length they were to make you as as a viewer captivated by what was going on. That was that was the biggest thing I think I noticed I was really surprised about was even though the Whedon cut, I mean I'm sorry, the Snyder cut was four hours long, it always kept your attention because of how it paced itself, giving you a little bit and a little bit more and then a little bit more, never feeling like you didn't get everything out of a scene because it wasn't rushed. But it also never really dragged either, at least from what I noticed. Yeah, no, I, I would have to agree with that. Um, I think that there were some spots that we could possibly like look at pacing and see if we could like speed up the story a little bit. But, I mean, ultimately, it's just... It's just, it works so much better. And, like, I'm not even going to really complain about the pacing because it didn't feel... I wasn't sitting there going, like, oh, when's this scene going to be over? Exactly. But, you, I mean... You wanted, I, to keep it, you wanted it to keep moving, right? Absolutely. I mean, ultimately, I think Snyder... Snyder knew that he wasn't going to be able to make this four-hour movie that he wanted to make. Hmm. The studio was going to make him cut it down. He was never going to let the studio cut it down to two hours, though. This was going to be a minimum of a two and a half to three hour movie. And I think you could have made a two, probably two and a half would be pushing it because there's a lot in here to digest. But I think you could have made the three hour movie. I think you could have found about an hour of stuff that could have come out. Sure. But with that being said... How often do we get to see the the director's true vision? The like truly everything they shot, every scene they shot, even in director's cuts, you don't see every scene that was shot. Yeah. And I think that is that is something special. It really is. Going back to how Marvel has been doing their films. Uh, a big upside to um, Endgame 
was mm-hmm. that it was three hours long, and it had to be three hours long. Well, I don't say had to, but because it definitely didn't pace itself as well as Justice League did. But it, I, it was I would three disagree hours long. with you on that point. I, I I would disagree with you on that point with with Endgame. I think they're both very well paced, and I think again Endgame. I sit there, and it when we get to that final battle, I'm like, oh my god, are we already like like. Again, Endgame, there's not a single spot in that movie that I am bored. And it's kind of like with this. And I, I think that would be a co- comparison on length. I don't think there's a single spot in this movie where I was like, oh, is it over yet? I don't know. And I, I felt that way with Endgame too. But I understand a lot of people don't share my share my opinion. So No, I see what you're saying. It's just the I think the, the only thing I, I would say that was why I had a problem with the pacing was wasn't the film itself. It was just it's it's all personal. Like there are some characters in in the Avengers that I have zero uh, interest in, gotcha. and just having scenes with them and it's just like just them. Like oh well, great now I gotta watch this character I don't really care about. So that was all. It's like a personal thing. I'm not taking gotcha. anything away from the film. Um, but yeah, for most mo- like most really long movies, if I'm gonna go see it, either. A, I have to already be invested in it, which with Marvel I was, and with this, the this I needed to see the difference between the two, and um, or it's got to be something that completely interests me. Going into going into like um, you know the Orson Welles style of filmmaking, where uh, like a lot of directors, uh, not I don't say a lot, but. Throughout the years, there have been very successful directors, and the director themselves have been influenced by films that are the that are like the Orson Welles era of films, where they moved very slowly and were very character driven, as opposed to uh, story driven. And you kind of see that in instances where a film will come out and it's super long and it's kind of dragged out, but it, there's there's that that niche right of people that are into that and they they, they enjoy yeah. that type of filmmaking um mm-hmm. yeah. personally I'm and not i i this. think <laughs> and i i think honestly i think this movie is a combination of both it is very character driven and story driven like it, it's definitely a character piece where we're exploring the the thought process and who these people are throughout the whole movie and they're being forced to to analyze all this together through this story where you have this they have to come together to stop these people and stop this villain and stop stop the end of the world essentially and so i i think honestly it's a, it's a combination of both it's a combination of both the character driven as well as a story driven i i think that's what we didn't didn't get i think we didn't was trying to focus too much on the this is a story-driven movie and not the characters themselves. Yeah, Joss Whedon didn't have that connection to the characters that Snyder did. And whether or not that's because he had to come into a project halfway through or not, but it seems it seems to me like uh, Joss Whedon's creativity has started to wane throughout the years seems like it kind of got spent all in like the 90s and early 2000s and then now it's just um i don't know what it is but it could just be he's running out of you know of, of, of brand new fresh thoughts you know could be 
Um, I know he's been jumping on the man, the the bandwagon of like uh, franchise films as opposed to original content, but it just seems like whenever he he touches something that's not original, it just doesn't work as well as his own stuff. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely see that. Um, you know though, when when Snyder stepped down because of the suicide of his daughter, who they should have got is somebody that was already a producer on the mm. film. Christopher Nolan. Because one, his Dark Knight series had a very similar tone. Him and Snyder are very good friends. To the point where Nolan was helping Snyder throughout this whole creation of the universe and everything. And Snyder from my understanding still hasn't seen the theatrical cut of Justice League and that's because his his wife Deborah and Christopher Nolan both went to the theater during the preview to see it and they left and went back to him and told him you cannot see this movie. Mm. They destroyed everything you were working for. Mm. And so I think I think if Christopher Nolan took it over instead of Joss Whedon I think it probably still would have been a pretty successful movie and with somebody as with as big of a director and a heavy hitter as Christopher Nolan is he could have lobbied to have the longer movie where I don't think Whedon yes he's had success but he's not the caliber hmm. that Nolan is you know what I'm saying yeah, that's a good point. I wonder if that was um, an executive decision to not have Nolan take over. I don't know if he wanted to. I don't know if he didn't want to. It's just that's something I've been thinking about because I heard this story about him and Deborah going to see it and telling Zach, you cannot see this movie. And he still hasn't seen it to this day. And just the thought of him and Zach being on the same page could have put together a more cohesive movie whereas with what we got was a jumbled mess yeah and, and to the to the point where even like some minutia was was changed like mara having an accent in snyder's cut but then we didn't completely get rid of that which i don't really have an yeah. opinion on either way it's just weird to have that like changed good for good for Zack snyder not having to see that film so <laughs> yeah, good for him. Speaking of things that they uh, they changed and cut out, probably one of the coolest scenes, or like a scene that made me like go, oh my, and just be like, that's awesome, is Steppenwolf getting the second mother box in Atlantis, and uh, him fighting, uh, what's her name? Mara, right? Yeah. Mira, yeah, him fighting Mira. That's it. Oh, blanks. Yeah, him fighting Mira and where he he throws her against a wall and she opens up the water and he goes he goes there's nowhere for you to run. And she goes I'm not running and then she just starts like water bending all of the freaking blood out of his body. And I thought that was awesome. I'm like, "Oh, she's she could if he didn't throw, if he doesn't throw her down, he's gonna die. Like she could literally kill him. I thought that was, that was pretty badass. I wasn't expecting that, and that's something that got cut out. 
Like, why is that cut out? Yeah, even in the Aquaman film, it wasn't really it wasn't really shown how strong of a character she was. It just baffles me that like what got put on the cutting room floor and what got changed. And I know I know there's a lot of controversy with Amber Heard right now and everything, and I'm I don't care about that. It is what it is. She did a she did an okay job in the movie. Her accent keeps changing. She needs to pick one, but that moment was that moment was badass. Like, talk about a strong female character right there. Like, I'm not running, and then she's trying to kill him, and she would have been successful if he didn't throw her down. I it's just something I wasn't expecting at all. I wonder, I just had a thought, I wonder if if the Snyder version had come out as planned and then that transitioned into Aquaman, I wonder if there was something on the cutting floor of Aquaman that also like showed how strong of a character she was because it didn't really seem like that was the case in the film. She didn't really seem like that important, right? But with that knowledge of her ability to do that, I wonder if I wonder if there was something kept out of Aquaman because that was taken out of Justice League. Possibly. I honestly have no idea. Just something to think about. Yeah. And then, uh, I mean, they also... What was it? Right before that scene, they're pulling the Atlanteans out. And they're, uh, they're gazing into their mind trying to find the mother box. That was, that was pretty cool, too. And, again, somebody gets thrown against a rock. And, again, it's like, oh, I, I'm feeling yeah. it. I'm, I'm there with them. It's in the, the intensity of the action in the scene. Mm-hmm. In the theatrical cut, I was never worried for any character when Steppenwolf was on on the scene. He wasn't very strong, right? If I remember correctly, he no, just wasn't really as strong of a of a villain. And yeah, this one it was like when he comes in, I was like, oh, okay, some shit's gonna go down. And Superman's just OP, just straight up overpowered. But I mean, that's that is part of the character of superman he's supposed to be overpowered when when comic book creators and writers are writing for superman they'll ask they get asked the question how strong is superman their answer is he's as strong as you need him to be and so i completely believe that he would just come in and just destroy steppenwolf and i and this time unlike last time Last time I felt like, oh, they just kept him out of the movie, um, so that way there was a movie. This time I feel like there was actually, I'm not going to say purpose for him not being there. I mean, he was dead. But I feel like other people were still contributing throughout. And what's great about the final like fight scene is that it's not Superman who saves the day, right? No. It is and it isn't. You think it was, right? You thought it was, and then it turns out it wasn't. Yeah, it's Flash. Flash and Cyborg technically save it. And then, um, I mean, yeah, he contributes to the downfall of Steppenwolf. But if you really want to look at that, it's... I'm sorry, Aquamine gets his ass kicked in every fight scene he's in, pretty much. He is probably... Yeah, he gets his ass kicked more than anyone else. Watch it again. I like he gets barely any hits in on Steppenwolf compared to the other characters. Compared Well, that's why it's that's why the team 
is so important because they each can contribute in different ways. But yeah, so I, hmm. I was just thinking about that, and it's it's not like he's weak or anything. No, he he's got super strength. He's got all that stuff. I mean, he's gonna do more damage to Steppenwolf than Flash or or Batman would ever do. Um, yeah, he just gets his ass kicked. But I thought it was awesome that he's the reason Steppenwolf dies mm-hmm. because he, he gets him with his trident puts him yeah. up superman nice punch there and then wonder woman comes in for the decapitation to to pretty much avenge all of her all of her father yeah. fallen sisters in themiscare and then you just this then you just place. have like dark side standing there catches his foot and just crushes <laughs> smashes it yeah and I kind of felt... I'm not going to lie. I kind of felt bad for Steppenwolf there, but that's called character development. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, I know he's evil, and I know I don't like him, but, like, he's trying so hard to please Darkseid, and Darkseid's reaction to him dying is crushing his skull. And I was like, oh, dude, you should have never been serving him. He doesn't care. Which is good character development for Darkseid as well. Mm-hmm. Just that one simple motion. I'm sorry, I interrupted you earlier. What were you gonna say? No, it's fine. Um, I was I was just thinking, doesn't Justice League? I I from what I've seen, I believe Justice League takes place before Aquaman, right? Yes. Bless you. Yes, it should. Um, so so not to be devil's advocate or anything, but I think the reason why Aquaman is such an underwhelming uh, contributor to the Justice League at that point is because he's not really developed as a hero yet. You know he does. He hasn't had that conflict that he had in the Aquaman film, where I think now that the events have happened from the Aquaman film, I think now he's going to be much stronger uh, and much more knowledgeable about combat after all that took place. So moving forward, uh, I feel like he could. Uh, he's go- He's going to get his ass beat less. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so because I I do like Jason Momoa as Aquaman and I like how they didn't just make him. Like, you know, like back in the 60s where it was like, Aquaman's a joke. No, he's not a joke. Aquaman's badass. He is. I mean, um, I think they said something like, uh, based off of the events of the Justice League film, uh, Cyborg is the most powerful of them all, essentially. But but where Aquaman kind of stands as far as like, being competitive in his abilities, I feel like what was great about the Aquaman film that came after that was it showed just how useful his abilities are. Mm-hmm. And if you know, if the Justice League have to fight anything that comes out of the sea or uses the sea to its advantage, so one person that really could could help you out there. Yeah, absolutely. Like Star, like Starro, like Starro, you know, yeah. and, and we kind of saw a glimpse of that. Well, yeah. In Justice League, where uh, Steppenwolf used that technology to project people's minds, that's technology um, based off of Starro. Yeah, from from my understanding, people were actually saying that that was Starro himself, or not like Starro himself, but yeah. Um. Yeah, I guess. No, it, I see. What, I yeah. guess it would be just like technology based off Starro. Some people because that's what Starro did. Yeah, some people were saying it was Starro. So I'm not sure if it is Starro or not because I think that there were multiple of them. 
I could be wrong. Probably wrong. But Starro doesn't work for Darkseid, right? He might here. I don't know. So, I don't know. Ultimately, I, I really enjoyed the movie. I thought it was... I thought it was a blast. I had a good time. What would you think of the... The nightmare scene with the Joker. What'd you think of Joker? Oh yeah, I have some I have some thoughts. Oh yeah, I have some thoughts about that. So the nightmare scene made me kind of sad because at that time, you know, we thought that this was it, right? Mm-hmm. So like all these premonitions that, that we're seeing, uh, that were gonna contribute to Justice League two and three mm-hmm. were are still, I guess in essence, not gonna happen realistically right like there's still that chance right that it, that they could say you know what uh we feel like it would be a good decision uh for the uh for the company to go forward with the justice league trilogy right but at that moment that you're watching it you don't know you know you think this is it um because it was so interesting to see what was gonna what was gonna happen moving forward but going on the joker uh, let me see if I can find the the note I made yeah. for the Joker specifically. Um, they definitely fixed uh, Jared Leto's Joker. I I think they did too. Here's my thought on that: is I don't ever think Jared Leto is an incredible actor. I don't think the Joker was fully his fault. No, the, absolutely something not. Something comes. Here's the thing: the director can always come in and be like, uh, n- no. I think Snyder reined him in and was like, mm. this is what we're going to do. And I think I would love to see more of Jared Leto as the Joker, as the, this Joker, though. Well, I'm glad you said that that way, because from what I'm seeing, the Jared Leto Joker from Suicide Squad is they've, they've kind of they've kind of. Um, tossed him aside like he's they're not really planning on contributing to the character anymore so if they do no, move forward that... what oh i was just gonna say no yeah uh, yeah and like he was real upset when joaquin phoenix got the the joker movie he was not happy about that not that i it's not that he hates joaquin or anything he was just upset because Originally, he was supposed to get a Joker mm-hmm. movie. Yeah. But I think that this Joker that was portrayed in the end of the Justice League film was much better, made a lot more sense considering the universe. Now, that's not to say Jared Leto's Joker from Suicide, mm-hmm. Suicide Squad did not make sense in that universe. It kind of did, in fact. Um, I feel like with what Jared Leto was given to work with and the director's direction and such, I feel like he did as best he could mm-hmm. with what he had because the director definitely could have made the character a lot better and decided not to. So I'm not putting the blame on Leto for his portrayal of the Joker, but seeing this, seeing how he as an actor who's played this character two different ways within the span of a few years is insane. But each time the the character is its own unique person but in this universe with the Justice League, it's a lot more grounded in the events of what's happening. And I love the dialogue between Batman and the Joker where you just it's just like hitting you. Like every line is just one more thing that it's like 
you don't know, but it's it's um it builds so much character and and history between them in such a short amount of time. And it's building the story that you're not even aware of yet. Yes. I mean, you got glimpses of it in uh, Batman v Superman where mm-hmm. he says you should uh, you sent you sent a boy wonder to do a man's job. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yep, okay, that's Jason Todd right there. Just yeah. referenced him. <laughs> and honestly, I I think this Joker's more true to the actual character of the Joker than the Suicide Squad it was. And I think that's where it is. Like, this Joker actually seems menacing, while the Joker and Suicide Squad just seemed like a crazy crime boss. He was a gangster. Yeah. he was right? a cra- That was the character. Yep, he was a crazy gangster. Um, And yeah, this one just seems like the more cunning and manipulative person than was previously portrayed by Jared Leto. I would love to see a, a standalone Joker film with that Joker. Yes. That would be amazing. I mean, he he wrote that for this. Because mm-hmm. yep. Yeah, because Ben Affleck's Batman and the Joker never really interacted other than like a quick little flash cameo in Suicide Squad, but they didn't even talk. So, yeah, he did that for this one. Yeah, that was the only scene that made it into the Snyder Cut that was not already, already written filmed. down or filmed. Yeah. Yep. Uh, did you also know that Jared Leto and Ben Affleck never once were on set together? Wait, not even in that scene? No. Wow. That, that adds a whole new level to the scene now because you have to imagine... As an actor, right, which both of us are, mm-hmm. um, looking at that and saying, "Okay, so you have to convey this emotion in this character." Uh, well, I'm sure they use stand-ins. Well, sure, but you're not like but, yeah, you're the not way the lines were delivered, right? The way yeah. the lines were delivered and the tension in the scene of the of the the dialogue, just not not having Ben Affleck there, but still, and on the flip side, not having Jared Leto there. And still a- a- able to show that level of emotion is just incredible. Uh, I know we covered a lot of very good points that um, that were. How do I how do I want to put this? Like we weren't we weren't following it like a traditional like film review pattern, which is good. We were talking about what stuck out to us mm-hmm. and kind of having a dialogue about that. That was really that was really good. Um, Oh, I little little side note that I wrote down was um, when I was gonna go watch the theatrical cut of Justice League, uh, right for comparison. Yeah. I decided against it, and instead <laughs> I I watched an hour of YouTube videos explaining all the differences, and yeah. after watching those videos, I'm glad I did not go back and watch the film. <laughs> I watched the film before it came out, like well about a week before this the Snyder cut came out and it was definitely a decision. I don't know why I, I have it. I don't know why I own it. I think somebody <laughs> bought it for a gift for me or something. It's not a movie. I would have gone out and bought. Um, but yeah, so I was like, Oh, let's pop this thing in. And I was like, surely it can't be as bad as I remember. <laughs> it was, 
Yeah, I don't think I can ever watch that one again. I, I just don't think I ever will. I thought you liked it when you saw it in theaters. Well, okay, so when I watched it in theaters, my initial reaction was it's not as bad as people made it out to be. Okay. But I didn't have a context, right? Because this, yeah. this was the first, not only the first time I was seeing a lot of these characters, but I, you know, the Snyder Cut didn't exist. You know, I didn't know, I, I, I didn't, at that point, I had not watched Batman v Superman yet. Okay. So I didn't even I didn't even have that oh, prequel yeah. context yet either. Yeah, so you so, didn't even know like what the world was like what the world felt like before this movie. Okay. Yeah. So but now that I now that it's all there, I it's it's impossible for me to to turn on the original Justice League. I don't think I could ever watch it again. Well, I definitely own it for some reason. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's it's just one of those movies that I'll probably be like, "Huh, how can I torture myself?" And then I'll watch it and be like, hmm, why did I watch that? <laughs> what, a, what a waste of two hours. <laughs> two, there's two things that need to be mentioned. Um, one is uh, fact and one is opinion. So the fact is that why in the hell did they bring Danny Elfman to do the soundtrack for Justice League? Uh, that was what happened when Joss Whedon took over. Nostalgia. Was was Danny Elfman? I I know, but it's not a Batman movie. Like, <laughs> it's I'm not I'm not I'm not I'm not I'm not saying Danny Elfman is a bad composer. I do like Danny Elfman, but I just don't oh no, he's feel incredible like, most times. Just like, I don't feel like he's right. He was not the right pick for this. No, because well, I mean, he also didn't work on any of the other movies. No, uh, yeah. And Snyder finished it with uh, I can't I can't think of the guy's name. But he brought him back to finish everything the, up. The original composer for it, yes. yeah. But it's uh, Thomas Holkenberg. He's got AKA he, Junkie XL. That's it, Junkie XL. That's the dude's name. You know what the worst thing about the original Justice League theatrical cut is? Mm. It's how you think what they did to Zack Snyder's movie is bad but Zack Snyder is still credited as the director and Joss Whedon's name is nowhere to be found hmm how dirty is that that's terrible that is not his film Joss Whedon's name should be on that film or at least co-director co-directed by yeah that movie and all of its reviews and everything that is attributed to it and the failure of it at the box office is all stuck on Zack Snyder as a director. Not on Joss Whedon. How terrible is that? Well, that that makes it that much more awesome that his, that when he actually re-released his, he put his name explicitly on it. Yes. Like, this is mine. This one's mine. (laughs) But yeah, there's nowhere on the other Justice League movie that says Joss Whedon's Justice League or like or edited by Joss Whedon or co-directed by Joss Whedon. No, it's Zack Snyder. Hmm. That's dumb. I don't know who decided to, to have yeah. that. Because that I, was any anyone who knows anything about J- uh, Zack Snyder's film would tell you that is not anything close to what he makes. No, it's it's like 
cinematography and like pretty most of it is just like not him and it's like i love Zack snyder's cinematography i think he is a gorgeous visual director yeah ever since 300 i was just Mm -hmm. like i was hooked i was hooked on his style like every time that he'd come out with something like that's why i was really excited about man of steel not because i'm a huge superman person but i because i knew but because he put his touch on it that it was going to be something awesome yeah, and I think Man of Steel gets more hate than it deserves, honestly. Um, but that's neither here nor there about this. So, yeah, I don't know. That's just something that has always stuck with me is the the name on the film. And how, it, it, to me, that's just awful. That's That's not okay. And I'm glad that he got to put his name on it, like the Snyder Cut. And this is my film. And I also think it's it's great. He did do some editing inside of it. I don't know if you noticed it, but when him and Flash uh, get in his car and drive away, there's a billboard there saying, you are not alone. Mm. Yeah, I did notice that. I did. Yeah, I did notice that. That's in honor of his daughter. And I'm yeah. so happy that he got to dedicate the film to his daughter. Well, I know they were interviewing uh, Deborah, and she said, like, um, this this movie was uh, like the idea to make this movie was inspired by his daughter so i'm happy he got to do that i'm happy for that i'm not happy his daughter's gone but like i'm happy he got to finish his film and throw things like that in there to for like suicide awareness and prevention and try try to put some subliminal messaging yeah. in the film to help people out well so now that we uh had our nice little conversation about the film um something that i want to do in the inaugural in this inaugural podcast that we're doing for this um i want to kind of like just do some sort of rating that's kind of like related to the movie like we'll rate the movie it doesn't have to be anything specific it can be an arbitrary rating um Something that's kind of like related to the movie or a joke about the movie or something. Um, For this one, though, because we're comparing the two movies, I want to try to give a rating for both. So let's let's give a rating for the theatrical cut versus the Snyder cut. I got uh, Batarangs. Go for it. Yeah, so... The Joss Whedon version, while there was some things that were good about it, and, you know, I love the characters to death, so, you know, just the fact that it it was made at all is is awesome, uh, but I'm probably going to have to give that, like, a, a six batterings out of ten. And then, do you want me to give both? Yeah, 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 do both. Okay, so then the Zack Snyder cut, easily nine batterings out of ten. Okay, so for me, I will give the theatrical Whedon cut, I'll give it a probably, I'd give it about like four and a half, yeah, four and a half um, flash steps out of ten, <laughs> and uh, for the Snyder cut, I would give it, Snyder cut's just so much better, I would probably give that... 
so this this might also be me being biased and just like the mere the mere accomplishment of this movie happening um i'm gonna give it an 8.8.5 yeah 8.5 flash steps out of a out of 10 so it's to me it's just it's leaps and bounds better it's better movie there's definitely things that could have been like cleaned up about it but i mean the mere fact that it exists astounds me and i do love the movie it's 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 a good time it's very enjoyable to me so yeah yeah as just as a film like if you didn't know uh about the prior version of it or even if you were just vaguely familiar with the characters this film stands on its own two feet well ben uh this has been fun thanks for the talk absolutely um and uh yeah so i think we're gonna wrap it up right there okay all right bye all you listeners see you next week